It's Mother's Day, so please turn in your Bibles to Exodus 19, that famous Mother's Day passage, right? <clears throat> Not really, although it has a lot to say about moms, and maybe we'll see that in the course of this morning. Good morning again, and happy Mother's Day. We have been studying together in Exodus, as many of you know, and I can't believe that we're already down to our last two messages in the series today and this week. Where does the time go? I don't know. You see on the screen our upcoming schedule. Um, it's wrong, but uh, <laughs> at least it gives you an outline. Today's message on May 9 is the mountain of God. Next week on the 16th is something I'm calling Here Comes the Bride. And then the 23rd, of course, is the choir concert. Don't let that confuse you. And then um, while I'm in Israel, now that George is back, they let me go. And so while I'm in Israel on May 30, Dan Sarian at Front Range Christian, many of you know and remember Dan, he'll come and share with you. And then Dr. Blomberg, Craig Blomberg from Denver Seminary, will be back on the 6th, beginning June 13, and then running for three or four weeks. Haven't quite decided yet, we'll see. But I'm doing a mini-series called God in the Movies. I'm really excited about this one. And I mentioned it in particular, too, if you could read that green font. John will get upset with me later for using green because it doesn't show so well. But if you can see the green font, please set aside Saturday night, June 26, for the entire family. <clears throat> and maybe for the younger kids, they can take a nap that afternoon or sleep a little extra on Friday night because after dark that night or right at twilight, we're going to show the movie Up out on the lawn west of the church. Won't that be fun? It's kind of like a drive-in or at least a sit-in. So put that aside. I'm going to be talking about that movie in particular Up during the service the next day. So... This time you get to do a little sermon prep yourself the night before on the lawn watching up. So please set that aside. Then in July, if Jesus hasn't yet come again, following something special on the 4th of July, something I'm calling America's Heart, we'll do uh, another brief or many series on spiritual disciplines the next four weeks, something we're calling swimming in the deep end, and we'll have some amazing guest speakers uh, throughout that series. So lots and lots of good stuff coming here this spring and summer, and so be sure to make your plans to join in with us, please. And please continue to look for opportunities to ask friends and neighbors, even complete strangers, if God puts it on your heart, to come and join us. I'm thinking especially in the God in the Movies sequence, a lot of people in our culture, almost everyone, enjoys movies. It's an interesting window to talk about God, and I'll do my best to do that during that series. Ask some friends and neighbors to come in June, if you would. But for this morning and next week, we are at a, if not the, culminating point in the book of Exodus. And as we've discussed since about February, God has been making his case for his people to choose to serve him over any other gods, Egyptian or otherwise. 
And now the time has come, a significant time has come, a history universal changing moment really for his people, this people then at least, to choose. And for that choice, God decides to take his people to one of the most stunning places that I've ever been to or I've ever seen on earth. I'll have some pictures for you in a minute. God decides to take his people to a place the Bible calls the mountain of God. You recall that God has been molding and shaping his people to become his witness to the world. And you remember that this molding and shaping has taken place in the desert, as it so often does, both then in Exodus and again today. God so often has his people go through desert training. And so here we are now after all the plagues and the Red Sea and the manna and the quails and the water from the rock and those pesky Amalekites attacking from the back. And we're done with that now and God turns a corner in the desert and he takes his people to the mountain of God for some more desert training, but it's culminating in finally him asking his people, hey, will you choose to serve me? Now, a little bit about the mountain of God. We don't know exactly today, no one does, which mountain is the mountain of God. Also called Mount Horeb, or maybe even more commonly, I'm sure, Mount Sinai in the Bible. There are 22 serious candidates. And by serious, I mean at least one very respected scholar suggests this is the mountain. And then there are probably at least six other candidates suggested by amateurs, I guess you could call them, but well-meaning Christian people who have also looked at the text and hiked around, and for this, that, or the other reason, they believe is the actual Mount Sinai. So lots of guesses, but we're not exactly sure of the exact location of this mountain of God. Interesting that such an important place, not only in the history of God's people, but in the world and the universe, has been lost to us in terms of where it is. I'll suggest why I think that might have faded in memory next week. You'll have to come back for that one. There's a tease. Although, I don't know, is you really interested in that? I'll try to come up with a better one too. But let's read a bit. Let's read a bit about Israel's encounter with God at Mount Sinai. And we find a very nice summary in Exodus 19. Now going into Exodus 19, I'll warn you, it's a summary. Uh, There are portions of Exodus, we looked at the Jethro visit being one of them. There are portions of Exodus that seem to have a heavy editing hand, inspired by God, of course. And there are some things that seem to be a bit out of order. So Exodus 19 presents kind of a summary of Israel's stay at Mount Sinai, and even sort of mentions some things that kind of happen a little bit later. But Exodus 19 is a summary. I'll begin reading at verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. 
Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, Moses. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. But whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. And they washed their clothes. Then Moses goes a little bit further in the consecration, uh, further than what we have God commanding him. I think maybe Moses had an idea about these people and figured he'd really make sure they were prepared. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke. And the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain, and set it apart as holy." The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is the very word of God. Amen? Amen. As many of you know, I think, a couple of years ago, Jill and I were given the opportunity really an opportunity of a lifetime, to go to Egypt and Sinai and film with Ray Vanderlaan. And as so often happens when you visit and see and experience yourself the real-life setting of the Bible, well, you never again read certain passages the same. And for us, Exodus 19 is no exception. One of the things we'll never read read the same again is that very 
simple phrase, a very simple phrase, something as simple as Moses going up and down the mountain. In an attempt to explain why that now has special significance for Jill and me, I brought along this morning some footage of our group going up the mountain of God. And maybe this will help give you a flavor of what it must have been like for Moses and Israel. Let's watch. Come. Well, what do you think? That was an amazing, amazing climb. Is it as you pictured? 
You know, I got to tell you, um, Ray used the word amazing. Uh, amazing is one word for that climb. <laughs> the Bible says very simply that simple phrase that we'll never read again the same. The Bible says, then Moses went up to God. <laughs> I am never going to read those words the same again. It took us forever to get up that mountain. All morning, hours and hours. It's one of the traditional spots. All those spots are just like that. I've never seen mountains like that. And I'm aware I'm making this statement just east of the Rocky Mountains. But these Sinai Peninsula Mountains, oh my goodness, took us all morning, hours, straight up. The film flattens it out a bit. And so much of the path that you saw us trudging on, we come across really small, loose, and sharp rocks, the kind of washboard stuff that you take one step forward and you slide you know, a step and a quarter back. It's amazing you can even get up there. You wonder if your ankles are ever going to make it. I tell you, when we got to the top, there hasn't been a group of people that has ever been so thankful to reach the end of anything in their lives when we finally got up there. It didn't help that we were following the camels who were carrying the camera equipment you know, rather than us. But, um, and we didn't, even have, we didn't even have all that dramatic music playing you know, to kind of help us. I was thinking it as I was watching. It's, wow, it seems like just so romantic. It's like, that's what we needed. We needed that music while we were hiking. Incidentally, I got to tell you, since we moved the bass speakers to either side of this platform, you need to just sometime in the next year or so, you can't all do it now, right? But you need to come stand on here and have John play something through these things. It felt like the mountain of God was like trembling up here. That's awesome. Keep those there, John. That's a lot of fun. And you know what? I'll bet this morning when I read several times, in fact, then Moses went up to God. Or when I read, and then he went back to the people. I'll bet when I read that this morning, you all... You barely even gave that phrase a second thought, did you? Well, and me neither, until I climbed up and down that thing. And get this, Moses does this at least four times. And remember, Moses is an 80-year-old man. Then Moses went up to God at least four times, which means he climbed down four times. And let me tell you, you, you who hike mountains know, I, my knees still remember when we went down. Way more difficult on your knees and ankles going down. Four times God has him come up there. My favorite is the third time. God says to Moses when he's down on the plain in Israel's camp, he says, come up here, Moses. And so Moses goes up. You just got a taste of that climb on the video. And when Moses finally scratches and scrambles up there, 
taking hours, even if he was doubly as quick as us, and he may have been. But when he finally gets up there, the very first two words out of God's mouth are, go down. (laughs) That's what he says. God says, go down and get Aaron up here too. So not just go down, but come come back. Now, I, can you, man, put yourself there. You just, okay, I'm up. Oh, God, what do, what do you want? You didn't say, hello, good job, way to go. Boy, you did that in record time. Good to see. Go down. Get your brother. I'm wondering if Moses might, you know, or, 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 Lord, you could call him up here like you called me. You know, I'm happy to wait. You know, all the way down to get Aaron, right? All the way down. Why didn't he tell me to bring Aaron when he first called me? He knew he wanted Aaron. He's God. He's all... Four times up and down that mountain. Those four times go something like this. First time God tells Moses to ask Israel if she will obey him. See that the first part of Exodus 19. In other words, will she choose him to be their God? Go tell Israel that. Go tell him, Moses. So Moses goes down and asks Israel. Second time... Moses maybe kind of springs back up that mountain as best he can. He's so excited because he brings God Israel's answer, which is, we do. We choose to serve you, God. We'll do everything you said. And God, in effect, says, good. And he says, go back down and have the people prepare for what's next. Consecrate them. Have them purify themselves and prepare to meet me in person. The third time up, God says, go down and get Aaron. And presumably, Moses obeys. But we don't have a record of that climb back up with Aaron. That's where one disagreement is among scholars between how many times this happened. Because the next recorded time, Moses comes back up, and that's when he stays for 40 days without Aaron. And when he comes down after that time with the Ten Commandments, he finds the people messing around with the golden calf. And then finally, the last recorded time comes a bit later when Moses climbs up there for another 40 days and receives most of the rest of Torah, many believe. But one lesson I learned and I'd like to focus on this morning just briefly is from all this up and down the mountain, you know, when you choose, when we choose to follow the Lord, Expect to give every ounce you have. We are indeed God's people by grace and grace alone, lest any man or woman should boast. So were the Israelites. They didn't do anything to earn God's favor either. We're indeed God's people by grace and grace alone. But... And 
God also asks us to give it our all. When you choose to follow the Lord, expect to give every ounce. Desert training, much of it. Helping equip and enable us to better witness who God is. Expect to give every ounce. And that brings us to where we stopped reading the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Amidst the cloud and the thunder and the lightning and that piercing, echoing off the hills sound of the shofar, the ram's horn, the biblical trumpet, God speaks to Israel. They all hear His voice. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, He says. You shall have no other gods before me. And he gives his people the Ten Commandments. The Bible calls the Ten Words. Torah, a summary of it. Now the Ten Commandments are many things. They're indeed a summary of all 613 commandments in Torah. And as was the custom in making a covenant, the two parties would summarize the terms of the covenant in writing to make it official. And then each party would get a copy to take to their own dwelling place. And those two tablets that we read of, the Ten Commandments, follow that tradition exactly. And so probably each tablet, each of it, each tablet contains all Ten Commandments. I'm not sure where we get the idea that there were four on one or six on the other. The Bible never says that. And the strong custom of covenant making in that day points to each tablet containing all ten, with a copy intended for each party to take to their own dwelling place. Only God says to Moses, Here, you take both copies to Israel because my dwelling place is to be your dwelling place. So you say, what does it matter, 4 and 6, 10 and 10? We miss that message if they're not identical copies, I think. I don't doubt Moses cried or stood there in wonder that God gave him both copies. As amazing as that is, it's a sermon in and of itself. I want to set that aside a bit because I want to list a few more ways this morning to to view the Ten Commandments. So first, the Ten Commandments summarize the covenant between God and Israel. Second, the story of the Ten Commandments helps shape so many other stories in the Bible. So interconnected. And why wouldn't be as Jesus came not to replace them, but to fulfill them? The Bible is full of stories that shape other stories. One example... Let me do it this way. Let me ask you. When did Israel leave Egypt? What day? You're all thinking date. What's the name of the day? Starts with P. First part's past. Second part's over. (laughs) Good. I heard it long before. I'm just teasing. Passover. Good. And about how long did it take Israel to get to Sinai? You know, yeah, I I didn't know either until I studied this stuff. It never ceases to amaze me, and it's not any judgment on you or anyone. We don't focus on those sorts of details normally in our Bible reading or study, not even in our seminaries. 
I heard it over here. How many days? They left on Passover. How long did it take Israel about to get to Sinai? About? About 40 days. Good. 40 days of desert training and testing. Now, Passover is the first of God's three highest holy days. What's the next high holy day that Israel was to celebrate? Shavuot. Shavuot. Yes, we say Pentecost in Greek. And there are 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. Pentecost literally is 50 days. Penta 50 cost days. That's what it means. 50 days. And so Moses and Israel leave on Passover, take 40 days to get to Mount Sinai. Moses climbs a mountain and God speaks from the cloud. And then Moses heads down around Pentecost with the Ten Commandments, God's law or guide. He sees the golden calf, and so he has the calf grounded into powder, makes the people drink it, and he orders God's discipline. And how many people died that day? 3,000. Good. Now, what day did Jesus die? Passover. Hmm, same day Israel left Egypt. What a coincidence. And after 40 days, what did Jesus do? He climbed a mountain and ascended up to God. Hmm. And then 10 days later on Pentecost, the Spirit of God came down as God's guide, God's law, now not written on stone, but to be written on people's hearts, the prophet Jeremiah tells us. And how many people believed? 3,000. Story shaping story. The paradigm for Jesus in some cases is at Mount Sinai. Here's another one. Let me tell you a story. There was a mountain and a cloud descended on it, a cloud full of God's glory. For six days it settled on the mountain. And on the seventh day a man climbed this mountain and God spoke from the cloud. Then the man came down and when people saw him, He shone. He radiated with the glory of God. And soon after, the man instructed, taught the people on how to make a tent where God would dwell in their midst. What man am I talking about? Moses, of course, but did you know it's also Jesus? It's the story of Jesus' transfiguration. After six days, the Bible says, Jesus went up a mountain. God spoke. He radiated God's glory when the disciples saw him. And Peter immediately catches the connection. Because what does Peter want to do as soon as Jesus comes down? Let's make a tent where we can live together with God. Of course, Peter. You get a gold star. That's exactly what comes next. You were paid attention during Exodus class. Only you don't understand, Peter. It's not a tent this time around where I will live. It's in you, and it will happen at Pentecost. You get to be the tabernacle and temple of God. Story shapes story. Man, the Bible is so cool. The Ten Commandments are a summary of the covenant between God and His people. The story of the Ten Commandments shapes many other biblical stories. And last this morning, the Ten Commandments provide what some call the third leg of the kingdom of God. Say, what do I mean by that? 
one way to look at what the kingdom of God is like or what constitutes the kingdom of God or what brings about the kingdom of God is to think of a stool with three legs. The first leg is the finger of God acts. He stretches out his arm with power and with grace and with love just because he loves. And the first and God takes that first step in grace. That's one leg of the kingdom of God. The second leg is that when people see and experience God's grace, that first leg of the kingdom of God, they exclaim, "Oh my word, look at that. What power?" What love? He must be God who is greater than that. He is Lord. That's the second leg of the kingdom of God. Is acknowledging that God is indeed God in response to his marvelous grace. And now the third leg. The third leg of the kingdom of God is how now to make God my king. It's one thing to be blown away by God's grace and amazed by amazing grace. It's one thing to respond, wow, look at that, look at him, he is Lord. But it's another thing to also respond, he is my Lord. And the Ten Commandments fulfilled in Jesus are how we are to respond when we want God as our as my Lord. And did you know Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments? He summarized the summary of Torah. He summarized the Ten Commandments into two. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. You want to partner with God in bringing about the kingdom of, a God, kingdom of God in a world desperate for it? You need that third leg. Grace, yes. Wow, he's God, yes. And the third leg of the kingdom of God is when God's people embrace it, I'll make him my king and my God by loving and obeying. You know, it's no wonder the Ten Commandments are the basis for Western law. They are powerful. They summarize what the kingdom of God is like, what his reign is like. So no wonder they work to bring peace and order and justice and mercy. But God not only wants us to bring shalom, he not only wants us to bring the message, he also wants his people to be the message. Don't only talk the talk, but walk the walk, like climbing that mountain, Moses. I wonder if Moses and God talked later. I wonder if Moses thought, why did God have me climb all the way up here? Maybe he needed to. God continuing to train him It's not just about what you're about to teach them. Got to walk the walk, Moses, every ounce. It's Mother's Day. Promised you I'd come back to that. Here's my best try. Let's talk a little bit about mom. 
I've suggested to you today that when you choose to follow the Lord, expect to give every ounce. Is there any greater example of a person giving every ounce than a godly mother? Godly father is as great, perhaps, but not greater. And after all, today's Mother's Day, so... You mothers out there, ever feel like being a mom is like climbing that mountain? And I've just finished suggesting to you today that the Ten Commandments remind us that God not only wants His people to bring the message, but to be the message of the kingdom of God, of peace, of shalom. Is there any greater example of someone being the message of shalom than a godly mother? I can't think of any. My own mom is a shining example of this. I think of all the times I was growing up and even through to today when I was hurting and she was always there. She always listened to me, even heard me out. This is no easy task for anyone to do. And comforting me, encouraging me, just being there for me. And I've been blessed beyond measure with a mom who has shown me and continues to show me Jesus. She taught me and she still teaches me by example that choosing to serve the Lord means giving every ounce I have. And that following the Lord means not only bringing the message but being the message. I'll call her. We'll call her later today and and thank her for being the kingdom of God to us. And, you know, I'm doubly blessed because I've been blessed with two of these moms, my mother-in-law, too, of all things and all people. Right, Mom? Another godly mother who teaches me by example that choosing to serve the Lord means giving every ounce I have. And that following the Lord means not only bringing the message, but being the message. My mother-in-law spent the morning service up in that tiny little room that we call the prayer room, praying for me. She probably won't like it that I told you that, but don't tell her I told you, okay? Right. I don't know who's more blessed than I am in the history of the world with these two moms that God has blessed me with. I bless God for both of them. Now, I would encourage each of you today to call your moms if they're still living. And if not, maybe you tell it to God instead sometime today. But I encourage you to call mom, if at all possible, and give her one of the greatest possible single words of blessing you could possibly give her. And that word is thanks. And I know, for some of you, it's been really tough for you, even as you're glad for me in listening about how great a blessing my mom has been. For some of you, That's going to be a very tough, if not impossible, task because maybe your mom wasn't at all a living example of the kingdom of God. 
But even then, maybe, just maybe, is there something you might say thank you for even so? Maybe at least, thanks for giving me life. She played a part. And even that, even if that is impossible for you, and I understand chaos and confusion and sin is ugly and it hurts and it's awful. So even after trying, if you just, maybe she's not speaking to you and you couldn't even get it out, I don't know. Maybe you can take the occasion of Mother's Day today to tell anyone else in your life that has been like a mom to you. Anyone that has filled that gap if you've had that gap on your path, if you've had that failed expectation. Anyone who's shown you Jesus in some way that was like a mom. Maybe you call them and say, hey, I just wanted to thank you for being like the mom I never really had. Thanks. God wanted Israel to be his message. He made this clear at Mount Sinai. And now it's our turn as the people of God. We've been given the baton. And you know what? It's the same race. It's the same task. It really is. Just like Israel, we are to be the kingdom of God in a world desperate for it. Witnesses of it. Just like Israel, our task is to show the world who he is. And show them how much you love him and love others by giving every ounce you got and by being yourself an instrument of peace and order and justice and mercy and healing and love. So help you God. And he will if you let him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, thank you for this opportunity on Mother's Day to say thanks to those who have been moms or like moms to us. Thank you for the wonderful expression of you through mothers. Father, thank you for saving this story of your people at Mount Sinai so that we could look at it and see it and our hearts can stir again over it. And Father, may they stir to the same degree it did in your people that day where they couldn't help but say, we will, we'll do it. We can't wait to do everything you've asked us to do. Oh, Father, stir the Holy Spirit who even now tabernacles in and among us to give us that same energy, that same enthusiasm, that same perseverance, that same love of you with all of every part of us and love of others. Father, we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you stand, please, for God's benediction, God's good words, his blessing? A little bit different this morning. This comes from Acts chapter 1, where Luke records Jesus having gone to a mountain to meet with God. And his disciples see him go up to the mountain, and they say, wow, is it now? Is now the kingdom and Jesus says, you don't get to know exactly what time, but let me tell you this, and I'll give it to you in the form of a blessing this morning. God says to his people, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be 
my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Please, please remember on your way out, Vacation Bible School is desperate for your help. Please sign up and volunteer. And also, I need your wedding pictures. Please find the link on our website. Send them in to John so we can use them next week. Thank you.